0: Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5, KPL 232 1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, we've got a lot to get to today. Um so if you if you signed up to the show notes, which by the way, Joe Cunningham if you sign up for the show notes, uh I put the global uh news first, but I think I want to start by going with the national news first, because we do have some late breaking developments. All right. So earlier, Kevin McCarthy, uh, the, the GOP caucus voted, uh, for Kevin McCarthy to be their choice for speaker of the house. Uh, there were about 30 votes against him. I think it was, I can't remember the exact numbers, but basically the people that voted against him are the far right conservatives, the, the freedom caucus types, those kind of people. What you need to know from that is that, you know, the speculation is, oh, but can McCarthy pull together the 218 needed? Uh, yeah, he can. And the reason is this. The far right conservatives are not going to cross the aisle to go vote for a Democrat. But if they stand opposed to McCarthy, then the moderates will. And the moderates have already threatened to. Instead, what you're going to find is that the the House conservatives, the, the 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 conservatives, the Freedom Caucus type folks are going to stick with the devil they know versus the devil they also know, but is also a Democrat. And so you're going to have Kevin McCarthy as the next Speaker of the House, which is very unfortunate. Kevin McCarthy stands for Kevin McCarthy and nothing else. He has never found a fence that he can't sit on. He has never at any point actually decided on an issue based on conviction but by licking his finger, sticking it it in the air and see which way the wind is blowing. That's Kevin McCarthy. That's why this is a terrible choice. But that's what Republicans are stuck with. On the Senate side, just coming out a little bit ago, Rick Scott has formally announced that he is going to challenge Mitch McConnell for minority leader in the Senate. And this is the more interesting of the fights. Mitch McConnell is taking a lot of heat from conservatives for the way his Senate leadership fund spent money in this election cycle. But keep in mind, he spent money to save J.D. Vance in Ohio. It is inarguable that without Mitch McConnell's money, J.D. Vance would not have won in Ohio, considering that every other Republican in Ohio won by way more than J.D. Vance did. That says something again about candidate quality but Mitch McConnell spent a bunch of money there. Mitch McConnell raised a lot of money for Herschel Walker in Georgia. That probably helped keep Walker from losing outright and going into this runoff. The Senate leadership fund is now putting actual boots on the ground in Georgia to try to get Herschel Walker through that. He spent money in Pennsylvania. He spent money. Yes. In Alaska for Lisa Murkowski, but that is buying Lisa Murkowski's vote. Every time Mitch McConnell Gives money to Lisa Murkowski's re-election. She is a solid vote whenever the Republicans need that 51st vote. She's not a conservative. She is an independent at best. And most of the time she is a liberal. But she votes with the Republican caucus because Mitch McConnell gives her the money to be able to win re-election. It's not a defense of McConnell or Murkowski. That's just laying it out there as it is and how it's actually worked to the benefit of the Republicans in the Senate. Rick Scott, meanwhile, rebuilt the National Republican Senatorial Committee in his image, put them in financial crisis, uh, used uh, just led them through unethical uh, fundraising practices. I mean they 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 would send out um, they would send out these text messages and, and these fundraising attempts on uh, to, to to Republican voters and say, uh, you know, donate here if you want to support President Trump, or donate here if you want to support such and such a candidate, and never disclosed in those messages that the money was going to the NRSC. And there was millions of dollars in refunds there. Uh, millions of millions of dollars in refunds, people requesting refunds because they were lied to as to where their money was going. Rick Scott saw the NRSC blow through all of its money, they were in a financial crisis and could not fund the races that they were wanting to fund. The races that they did get involved with, that they did uh, fund, almost universally failed. Rick Scott didn't get anybody elected to the Senate this year. But you know what he did do? He did put out a party platform earlier in the in the midterm election cycle. And one of the talking points that came out of that was that he actually wanted to raise taxes on the middle class. That drove middle class voters away from the Republican Party. So as much as conservatives want to say that Mitch McConnell is at fault here, I'm sorry, he's not the only one at fault, because again, he could have spent money not on Lisa Murkowski, but spent it elsewhere. But Rick Scott did absolutely nothing. He actually dragged the NRSC further back and put them in financial crisis, used predatory fundraising techniques, got nobody elected, put out a party platform that actually hurt Republicans, and now he wants to be the Republican's leader in the Senate. At this point, it's not out of the realm of possibility that a meteor crashing on the Republican party would be preferable to the leadership options being put up there. Because it would be less of a disaster than Rick Scott taking charge. And Rick Scott's only doing this so he can continue to build a platform for himself so that he can run for president in 2024 for about eight weeks before he has to bow out because nobody's giving him money or attention. Back in 2016, one of the most memorable quotes I'd, I had heard from anybody, and it was a consultant for one of the Republicans, you can't win a presidential campaign from the kid's table. This was somebody who was perennially at The, uh, the lesser candidate, remember they had essentially two debates on debate nights for Republicans and one was like the top eight candidates and the other one was like all the rest of the candidates. One of the candidates down at the, at the second debate, uh, could not make any headway because they were being drowned out by all the other voices. And that's where Rick Scott's going to be. Rick Scott is not going to have a snowball's chance in hell of becoming president of the United States, but he seems to have this idea that he can be. So the leadership fight for the Republican Party continues apace and nobody's learned anything. Mitch McConnell does have to go. Kevin McCarthy does have to go. I would like to see Steve Scalise leading the House uh, Republicans. I would like to see somebody like Tim Scott, not Rick Scott, Tim Scott leading the Republicans in the Senate or Mike Lee. Somebody with knowledge, somebody with charisma, somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. But of Mitch McConnell and Rick Scott, I'm sorry, I'd have to go with Mitch McConnell. Because Mitch McConnell at least knows how to properly spend money about 80% of the time. But that's the leadership fight happening in the Republican Party right now. That's where we are on that. Now, I want to go ahead and take this break. And even though we've got a little bit of a shorter segment before the bottom of the hour news, let's get started. Because the global news of the day is the news of the day. We've got to talk Russia, we've got to talk Poland, we got to talk China, do all that and more here on the Joe Cunningham show. If you want to call in, you can 232-1542. You can also send a message through the KPL app. We'll take all those messages as they come in. We'll be back on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham show. Um so we've got uh we've got a uh, major uh, sending in uh, a message to the cable app chat saying that I should change the in I can't change the intro to the show. I'm very much attached. The intro, by the way, uh, is Knights of Sidonia by Muse. It's one of Muse is one of my favorite bands that that song in particular is just one of my favorites. I mean the 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 band itself is just constantly overly produced, overly epic music. That's all Muse does, and they do it very well. Um, and they, they really, you know, the old, the old, uh, genre of war protest they, they took that and elevated it to just a beautiful art form. But, uh, major did, did suggest another song that I will add to, uh, my list of songs for the bumper list. So you may hear it in the future major, just throwing that out there, but I, I can't change the intro song. Uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm way too attached to it, but anyway, anyway, 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation, you can also send a message like Major did to the KPAL app chat, would love to, uh, chat with y'all there. All right, so let's jump to the global events of the day. By the way, uh, we had somebody who called in earlier to talk about a local issue. It's not, it wasn't on my list for the show notes today, but if I get through the global stuff, uh... If I get through the global stuff uh, and we have some time, in the last segment that uh, call, you can call back and, and we can talk about that a little bit as well. But um, there's a lot of, of big, a lot of big global stuff happening right now. And actually, let's go with the most recent one. And then we got to walk back a few days because it all kind of ties in together. A Russian missile strike went off course, landed in Poland. Killed two Polish civilians. That does have an impact on us because Poland is in NATO, as are we. Uh, if a nation state in NATO decides to get involved in a military conflict, they do have the right to call on NATO allies to contribute. And the United States, the Biden administration has previously gone on record saying that they will, they will not give up an inch of NATO territory. This is a pretty big deal. Is it likely the U.S. gets involved in a land conflict in Ukraine or in Russia? Probably not. Was this an accident? Hard to say. What we do know is that Russia is now looking for a way out without surrendering. They've already had to acknowledge their withdrawal. They've already had to acknowledge uh, that they that some places that I think Kedon was one of them. Uh, they had to pull U.S. forces, uh, uh, Russian forces, out of there. Vladimir Putin. I think you know uh, at the beginning of his last hour, I think Bongino said it best. Uh, if you were listening to Bongino's show, he said, "You know, Putin is a strong man, but the emphasis is on the strong there, and Putin is not coming across as very strong right now. He looks very weak. He is a dictator." Uh, he wins sham elections and he, his power is basically threatened right now because he cannot get done what he said he was going to do. He's used all this power, all this authoritarian might and has nothing to show for it. The, the Russian military now, without a doubt on the global stage, looks like a paper tiger. Uh, they were held off by a bunch of farmers and, uh, And it's really, really interesting. I mean, even before the U.S.'s money and and other money went to Ukraine, Ukrainians were holding off the Russian military. Now, they're able to do so more effectively because of our money, because of the weapons and everything that went over there. But Ukraine was holding them off. Russia has not scored a a decisive victory, really. Really. And so now the White House is once again kind of warily eyeing Russia. Okay, is is Putin going to lose it? Is he going to start making noise, start rattling his nukes again? We don't know. It's very likely that if he does escalate, he's doing so to try to get the U.S. involved and force the U.S. to bring Ukraine to the table and force a peace settlement. That would be, I think, the best case for Russia at this point is the U.S. forces Ukraine to come to the table and there's a settlement that the Ukraine that you the US forces and it's not Russia surrendering to Ukraine because that would just be a blow to the ego as well as to Putin's power. But there is something else at play here. Over the weekend, beginning of the week, Joe Biden met with Xi Jinping of China. You may not think that these two events are related, but they are. The United States has always been seen as like one side of the scale. And in order for there to be world balance, there needs to be another side to that scale. Through the Cold War, in the post-World War II era, through the Cold War... That balance of power was between the U.S. and the Soviet Union and Russia. The U.S. has continued to grow. Russia has really just stagnated. China has become the third world power there. So we went from having a bipolar global balance to a tripolar global balance. But even so, the US still outpaces both. Just in terms of strength and economy. The, the Chinese economy was seen as one of the fastest growing. They've stagnated because they've manipulated their money, they've manipulated their markets so much. China sees or saw Russia as their help in counterbalancing the US and the West. And then Russia invaded Ukraine. And China was upset about it. We got reports that China wasn't too happy with Russia invading Ukraine. Now, why would that be? Well, China was hoping to invade Taiwan and bring it under heel. Well... Um... So, the, um... The Chinese were mad at Russia because it 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 took out the legitimacy in what they were doing, and it forced Russia, I mean, it forced China to have to rethink some things. So now China is coming to the table with uh, with the China is now coming to the table, and they are. Uh, I'm sorry, I I got distracted there for a sec. Uh, China now has to come sit at the table with the U.S. and they have to try to balance things out there because Russia is no longer any help. And the Russians threatening nuclear force makes China nervous because then China loses legitimacy for some of the things they want to do. So what I want to do is I want to go ahead and take this break. I want to explain this a little bit more because I kind of got distracted there for a minute. But there's a big problem with China and Russia right now, and it's why the U.S. is meeting with China. All that and more here on The Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5. KPEL will return in just a moment. Stick around. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. KPEL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. But if you're talking to me and I suddenly go off about the creepy Santa plate staring at me, I do apologize. It is uh Bernie's decorations in the studio to get us ready for Christmas time that that have me somewhat freaked out. I know I'm not sure why the tree-shaped thing made of angels' wings is there, but it looks vaguely threatening to me. I don't, there's there's this uh there's this push to remind everybody what angels as actually described in the Bible look like and they're terrifying. And if we start having more of those biblically accurate angels around Christmas time, we might stop things like that. Anyway, uh, if you want to be part of the conversation, please do. You can call in, you can uh, reach out uh, through the KPL app chat. You know, so let me get back to where I was earlier. Some computer issue kind of had me distracted there toward the end of the last segment. So let me reset a bit. Russia missiles hit Poland, killed two polar citizens. Now that could potentially bring the U.S. into some sort of conflict in that area of the world. Meanwhile, the U.S. is also meeting with China. Now, there's no establishment of friendly relations or anything like that, but China is now sitting down with the U.S. China's very worried because China and Russia have similar ruling tactics. They want to rule through intimidation and fear. They want to exert their power, maintain hold over a country that at times truly fears them. And fear doesn't always lead to subservience. It sometimes leads to rebellion. So they have to make sure that they are on top of their game. And Russia invading Ukraine really screwed with China's plans to invade Taiwan. It's now got the world on alert. What's more, now Russia's threatening nuclear weapons. All through this, Russia's military has basically been proven to be a paper tiger. That worries the Chinese. The Chinese, their own military, their own military might is based on stolen technology from other countries, including the U.S. We don't actually know how strong the Chinese would be in a military fight either. They have the advantage of numbers, but do they have the advantage of actual strength through technology, through tactics, things like that? we don't know yet but the chinese really saw russia as a means of helping them balance out the influence of the us and its western allies but now that's on pause the chinese is now uh, the, the chinese government is now looking at russia and saying well we can't rely on them so now they're sitting down with the us now they're meeting with the us It's not establishing friendly relations, not signing some peace treaty or anything like that. Not not them saying, hey, knock it off. You you stop trying to hack us. We'll stop trying to hack you. No, this is just sitting down, airing of grievances type stuff. But the Chinese still don't trust the U.S. And most of the U.S., not sure about the Biden administration, frankly, but most of the U.S. doesn't trust China. And that is why Joe Biden is meeting with China. That's why he's meeting with Xi Jinping. But there's still some embarrassment there. Xi Jinping made Joe Biden walk all the way across the stage, hand outstretched just so he could come shake Jinping's hand, not the other way around. Xi Jinping made Biden come to him. That was symbolic. That was a symbolic gesture that Joe Biden screwed up on. Joe Biden walks across the stage, stands in the middle, turns looks at the cameras and waits for Xi to walk over. That's more symbolic, more favorable to the U.S. But Biden, wanting to appease the Chinese, is willing to go through it. Well, also at this event, apparently, while the two are talking and about to walk off, an American reporter says, what will you do? Uh, will you ask China about human rights abuses? And a somebody in the Chinese delegation grabbed this reporter, started to drag that reporter away, and the U.S. Biden administration officials had to tell that Chinese delegation member to stop. But the Biden administration said nothing publicly. They did not reprimand China in any way. If you're not going to stand up for a member of your own country coming across the sea to be part of this, then how are you really going to hold them accountable? China's still got a lot of things that are frankly trouble, uh, 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 cause for concern, very troubling. Uh, the, the human rights abuses of the Uyghurs, for example. This is a long ongoing thing, but it's become very ramped up in the last several years. The Chinese have manipulated currency and have frankly destabilized the economy because of it the Chinese still won't give any straight answers on the origin of COVID-19. There's all these major issues that are floating around at where the Chinese are concerned, and the Biden administration won't press them for answers. And the U.S. government, frankly, is too scared to press the Chinese for answers on anything. doesn't matter who's in office. But we're at a point where the Chinese are more willing to sit down and have a conversation with America than rely on their buddies in Russia to help them basically say, hey, you stay off our side of the world, we'll stay off of yours. The Chinese are very worried that America will overtake them. And they don't want that. They don't want that. They see that as a threat to their power. Western culture, Western society, capitalism, all these things really do worry the Chinese government. It offers them freedoms away from the government and they don't want their people exposed to that. This also takes us to what's happening in Iran right now, a potential human rights problem there as the Iranian parliament votes to execute 150,000 arrested protesters, people who just want basic human rights in Iran. And you know what you're hearing from the Biden administration? Pretty much nothing there as well. They're not getting involved. They're not saying a word. So while China sees this opportunity to sit down with the U.S. and try to make some sort of amends and just try to basically keep up that arrangement, you stay off our side of the world, we'll stay off of yours. All of these other tyrannical countries around China, and that frankly, China has supported, they're now causing all sorts of issues. So you've got Russia, which is the paper tiger about to collapse militarily. You've got China, which is just rubbing its head, wishing all these problems would go away. And you've got Iran about to commit a major human rights abuse by voting to execute more than 100,000 protesters. If you want to keep the West out of your part of the world, you don't let the people that you've given money to and supported do this. China has supported Iran. China likes Iran to be a destabilizing force, as does Russia, because it keeps American focus away from them. But if they do something egregious and bring the U.S. to that part of the world, it brings the U.S. closer to them, and that worries them. We've got all of these major global problems happening right now, and we frankly do not have an administration that is capable of dealing with them because the administration still believes that part of the problem with the world is the fact that America has been such a dominant force. And so they want to see something different. They want to bring the U.S. away from the world stage and let other people fill in the gaps. But who's filled in the gaps? Russia's invaded Ukraine. China's getting ready to invade Taiwan. I actually think that Russia's destabilization could actually push back China's invasion of Taiwan rather than move it forward. But Russia's collapse militarily, Iran losing its mind, uh, China not being able to go through with its plans on Taiwan, none of that. There's just more chaos in the world now than there was. The Biden administration has clearly dropped the ball where the Middle East is concerned, All the Middle Eastern countries that sort of like us really hate Iran and don't like the fact that we're trying to deal in good faith with Iran and make Iran stronger by giving them money in exchange for promises that they will not keep on nuclear weapons. So, what happens as a result? Well, Saudi Arabia turns to Russia, Saudi Arabia turns to China. They look at these other powers in the world and start making deals with them, and in the process, cutting off oil that the West desperately needs because the Biden administration was so egotistical and incompetent that they really screwed up that particular relationship. And all of this chaos is happening because the Biden administration is trying to walk the U.S. back from a leading role in the world stage. This is vital. This is something that you have to Understand. There is a major problem, a major growing per crisis across the world. Somebody needs to step up. Not sure who. Let's go ahead and take a break. We will be back in just a moment here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPO. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPO 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation real quick, um, I referenced the thing in Iran earlier. Um, That was based on a Newsweek article that has since been retracted. What happened Uh, There was a letter signed by uh, Iranian lawmakers that asked the Iranian judiciary to consider severe and capital punishments for those involved in the protests across the country. Newsweek misinterpreted that uh, to say that these 15,000 who were arrested were going to be up for uh, death. So let me go back and correct that. That part was not true. But... There is still a lot of chaos going on, and frankly, the Biden administration has been fairly quiet on the Iran protests as well. But of course, we've all been distracted by the midterms and stuff, and and now we'll see, I think, more of these issues come to light. But right now, everybody's focus is going to be on what's happening, uh, Russia, Ukraine, and Poland. All right, so before I move on... uh, To recap the news of the day so far, we've got the big global news. A Russian missile hits Poland, kills two civilians. That has Poland, NATO, the U.S. on high alert. Don't know if it was an accident or not. Russia claims it was an accident. We don't quite know all the details yet there. Stateside, the House Republicans have voted on Kevin McCarthy to be their nominee for Speaker of the House, and Rick Scott has announced his bid to challenge Mitch McConnell for leadership of Senate Republicans. So we've got those two fights going on there. Um, I think it was yesterday, uh, it, you know, became, uh, pretty, it, it became clear that Arizona, uh, the, we already knew that Blake Masters had lost, and the last batch of votes to come in kind of confirmed that uh, Carrie Lake was not going to win governor of Arizona either. There are a lot of claims of stolen election and things like that. And what you what we need to go over is the fact that, yes, their voting process sucks and takes far too long. But. This is not the case of a stolen election. If it was a stolen election, the Republicans would not have swept almost every congressional district, which helps ensure a Republican majority in the House, which it looks like we're aimed at. Republicans just need one more seat. The same thing in other areas. The Republicans, despite the statewide races, the Republic and, and doing poorly there, Republican candidates at the House level ended up doing all right. And in looking at the exit data, the exit polling data, looking at the deep dives into the information that we have, there are some notable things. One, Minority groups did shift to the Republican Party, not as much as was originally expected, but still a pretty good chunk between Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans, and black Americans. Two, overwhelmingly, the candidates that were unabashedly pro-Trump, pro-stop the steal, pro-going-back-and-rehashing-2020, they lost. Candidates that were tied very closely to Trump lost. Candidates that ran as their own person did very well. Lee Zeldin was a Trump guy, but his campaign was not about Trump at all. His campaign was focused almost exclusively on crime and the economy, more on the former than the latter. And Lee Zeldin, as a result, came close to unseating Kathy Hochul, but helped bring a lot of Republicans across the finish line in congressional races. Several congressional seats in New York flipped undoubtedly because of Lee Zeldin and the way he ran his campaign. There's actually a push right now by several prominent conservatives for Lee Zeldin to take over as RNC chair rather than Ronna, uh, Ronna Romney McDaniel. The current RNC chair... Ronna Romney McDaniels has presided over three major failures of the GOP at election time, 2018, 2020, 2022. And she still wants to be in charge of the RNC, much like Kevin McCarthy, much like Mitch McConnell, much like some of these other leaders in the Republican party. It is time for Ronna Romney McDaniels to go. It is time for the Republicans to come up with new future facing leaders, people who are more concerned about advancing the Republican Party, advancing conservatism, not people who are worried about the last few election cycles, but also people who are young, have fresh ideas and want to move the ball down the field. That's what the Republican Party desperately needs right now. And we're not exactly sure if the Republican Party is going to get it because the Republican Party's main, main uh, elected officials are scared of change. That's why you don't see them going somewhere else instead of Kevin McCarthy. They're going with the devil they know versus the devil they don't. But the Republicans are stagnating right now. I've said this for a while. I've said, I've said this repeatedly. The Republican Party has to move forward. They have to stop staying in the present. They have to stop looking at the past. They need to look at the future. They need to make some serious changes if they want to win elections, because there is no reason that the party out of power should have lost the independent vote. In every midterm election cycle, the party in the party out of power wins the independent vote, except in 2022, because independents saw a party that was focused on the past and not on the future. Offered chaos instead of ideas. So now the Republicans have to make some difficult choices. All right, talk to you guys again in twenty-three hours. In the meantime, Shannon is off sides next. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. You can also subscribe to the show notes, Joe Cunningham Talk to you guys again soon here on Newt's Talk ninety six point five KPL.